Welcome to the Calvary Hills Baptist Church podcast. This is Off Script with Pastor Jared, and today we have a special guest here in the studio. His name is Steve Cable. Steve is the Senior Vice President of Probe Ministries, but of all of his great accolades in life, his most lofty is Calvary Hills Baptist Church member. Steve is here because uh, his ministry, Probe Ministries, has overseen a new survey that has really strong implications for churches and the way that we do what we do, and some really important statistics that you're going to want to hear about. So, Steve, before we get into the surveys, give us as much or as little of a bio of yourself as you want to give us, and then just uh, tell us about Probe Ministries. Sure. Um, I uh, have degrees in electrical engineering and spent almost 30 years as uh, in electrical engineering and general management in, the, in that field. I retired in 2004 and didn't retire, but uh, went to work for Probe Ministries. Uh, Probe Ministries is a, is a Christian apologetics and worldview ministry that reaches out, uh, uh, began with the reaching out on the college campus using people with PhDs and master's degrees to speak in college classrooms from a Christian perspective. In the 80s, that door was closed. The deans uh, told their professors you couldn't have people come in to to help people understand a different worldview or a different view on things, which seems kind of odd for a college campus where you're supposed to be learning. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened and is still true today. And so Probe expanded our ministry addressing uh, first high school students going into college and then realizing that their parents needed as much help as the kids did. Uh, we expanded that and we, we reach out through radio programs on radio stations across the country through our website where we have over 2,000 articles addressing pretty much any topic related to worldview or apologetics that you can think of. That's P-R-O-B-E dot org. That's right. P-R-O-B-E.org. And uh, love to have you come uh, check out our website. Um, And uh, with, with my background, besides writing radio programs, speaking at events, I uh, was drawn to the data that was coming out of surveys uh, to really understand what was happening in the, in the Christian world in America. And um, what were Christians believing and what was the rest of society believing and what were they doing about it so that we could act with intelligence in responding to what was going on rather than just anecdotal stories about, well, my friend said that his brother did this. Right. Uh, we have some real data. Good. Well, give us a little bit about the surveys at first, uh, just some basic info about the surveys themselves. I think a lot of folks are probably familiar with some survey out there. Barn is a pretty familiar name, but there's lots of others. But just tell us about maybe the survey method, why you should feel confident in this info. If you're a pastor, if you're a a youth minister or someone listening to this podcast, why should I change uh, something that I do in my ministry based on these surveys? Right. I've been heavily involved in uh, analyzing and taking surveys for about 15 years. And we've not only had surveys taken specifically for Probe, but we've analyzed the surveys that were done by uh, the Pew Research Group, the GSS, which are two of the largest uh, institutions that take surveys of relevance and interest for religious topics, uh, and many other surveys, including Christian Smith surveys of of young adults over an eight-year period, uh, the Baylor uh, surveys over a six-year period. 
And uh, so we wanted to make sure that we were getting a well-rounded, in-depth understanding of the data that was available. And one of the things we found out in doing that is that, and and you may have noticed it as well, that you get different takes on that data from different people. And most, well, in fact, all of the articles that I've analyzed or books where they have wanted to paint a rosy picture, what was happening with evangelicals in America, what was happening in the church, and they wanted to uh, cast aspersion on those that were saying otherwise. Um, When you go in to look at their data, uh, they were using the same surveys that I analyzed, and it was easy for me because of the analysis we had done to determine that they had gone off track in their yeah. analysis. They'd, they'd taken their view and they tried to make the data fit their view. I don't think a lot of people even know that that, that that exists. That there's not just the raw data, but then there's the, the takeaways. There's the, okay, I see the data in front of me. Now here's the headlines that go out to the magazines and Christianity Today and all these different things. That's There's two parts to to every bit of surveys. Right. And, and one part of it is also, and this is something that we learned from working with the Barna Group, uh, is that it's important to look at questions combined together, not just look, well, how many people believe in God? How many people believe in Jesus? How many people believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, okay, then the largest of those numbers must be it. Well, you really need to ask, how many people believe in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit if you want to see who's tr- who, what, how many Trinitarians you have? Right. right. Yeah, that's good. So one thing— uh, we're going to get into the surveys now. One thing that I thought was really cool, just doing an overview, looking at the data that you guys did, was the fact that uh, this was not just data taken at one point in time. So it's not just a look at 2020, um, which is when the survey data came in. It's uh, it's compared against the survey taken in 2010. So the benefit you get is to see basically what happened uh Yes, the trends overall, but what happened to the same group of people as they went through a 10-year change in their life? So you you guys basically have info from 2010 and info from 2020, and you can see, well, where did these people go? What did they do? What, how did they change their mind over time? Was What was your – what was like a really big takeaway from you watching the, the growth and change of a demographic over a decade? Yeah. There were three primary things that we really stood out to us as we compared our 2010 survey with our 2020 survey, and also looking at other surveys by Pew and GSS and others. Uh, and the first one is the growth of the unaffiliated, which are people who are atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. And um, this group uh, from 1988 to 2018, according to the GSS, grew from 13% of the population to 35% of the population. That's big time. That's big time. Yeah. That's three times. They've tripled uh, during that time period. And in fact, when we look at the Pew Research data, who are who is the group that surveys the most people, in these surveys, they surveyed between 35,000 and 10,000 people, which is a huge number. And they saw growth from uh, 2007 to 2020 from 17% to 51% of 18 to 29 year olds. So that's massive. That's about, that means that the majority of 18 to 29 year olds in America, uh, 
said, specified that they were atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. So we went from 18% of that group, 18 to 29-year-olds, to 51% being completely unaffiliated with any faith, religion, or anything like that. That's correct. And so that's one big takeaway. Okay, so if a church is not engaged in uh, youth or college ministry, you got to figure it out. This is a big deal. It, it is a big deal, and it's something that as as youth workers, pastors, church leaders, uh, we need to come to grips with the, the idea that we need to present the truth of the gospel in a way that the that is culturally appropriate, not not aligned to the culture at all, but in a way that the communication can get through the cultural fog. So like if you were Paul and you went to to Athens, the Areopagus, you don't go there and say, well, the Old Testament says this and this and this, and of course you all believe in the Old Testament, because they say, we don't have any, what is this Old Testament and who cares? Uh, and so he started with, look at the statue of the unknown God. I can tell you about this guy, and you're going to you're going to want to know it. Uh, well, in the same way, if we're wanting to reach this unaffiliated group um, in America, we need to speak the truth in ways that break through the fog. So, if you meet an 18 to 29 year old today, there is a basically coin flip chance that they're completely unaffiliated. Right, and then another finding is that. If they are mainline Protestant, Catholic, uh, or they are, from a belief standpoint, they're not that far removed from the unaffiliated in the key beliefs of of the Christian faith, which is another second big takeaway. Uh, and the third big takeaway is that over the last decade, amongst those who are born-again Protestants— and we can talk more about that in a minute, but amongst those, the, the percent of those that believe in a basic biblical worldview, basic truths of the gospel, the basic truths that make Christianity the good news that it is, has dropped significantly over the last 10 years. It wasn't great 10 years ago, but it's, it's, it's continuing to slide. So let's let's unpack then a common trope. And this is I saw uh, this was the headline of uh, an article that you and Kirby Anderson had in the Christian Post. Uh, Essentially, an old trope of the Christian church was. Yeah, kids often walk uh, walk away from their faith when they leave high school and they go to college. That's kind of the sowing the wild oats season as we as we hear about. But don't worry because they will come back when they get in their late 20s, early 30s, start having kids. They want to settle down. They want to, they get more conservative. Their values change. And basically a huge portion of that that walked away because of the foundation they had growing up, all the VBSs and all the great youth ministry games and things, they'll come back because they want that for their kids. What are you guys seeing with that? Well, that's the that is a supposed truth that we would love to be true. We would love, as we analyze our data, to find that there's a pull, that there was a sufficient uh, connection with the message and worldview of Christianity, that as they 
went into their childbearing years. They wanted their children to grow up in that environment. They wanted to, to be a part of it. And we would love for that to be true. Unfortunately, the data just doesn't back it up. And we can look at it at several different levels, but let me give you the uh, one level of looking at it. Going back to the unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. So this is a group of people that are not connected with church in any way, particularly Christian church. Um, and we saw that uh, the from the 30 to 39 age group, uh, we saw a similar growth growth trend from 9% to 30% over that same period that went from 13 to 35. Becoming in the, in the unaffiliated. GSS, becoming unaffiliated. Yeah. And it's, if we compare the 18 to 29 data in 2010 to the 29 to the 30 to 39 data in 2020, so the same age cohort, yeah, just you, age you're 10 following, years. You're following the same people for right. 10 years and seeing what they did. Yeah. We saw 26% of them were unaffiliated in their 20s, and now 30% of them are unaffiliated in their 30s. You're right, and those are the same. That's the same people. That's the right. same demographic. It's, it's, yeah, same demographic. Not exact same yeah, people. Yeah, you didn't follow, you know, Bill and say, "Hey, Bill, right. we're calling you 20 years later." You know, but you're basically saying you you followed the the 18 to 29s, and then 10 years later, you you looked at the 30 to 39s, which is the same group. Right, and and there the, were more of them. The unaffiliation grew. Right, which what that means is the trope is not correct. That the idea that they will come back. Don't worry, mom and dad, they're walking away now. But don't worry, they come back. They all do. They always do. They always have. They're coming back. You're saying no. Right, and there's two other things we can look at there as well. And one is when we look at the beliefs of the unaffiliated, and we we look at their beliefs relative to uh, who was Jesus Christ, uh, why did he come, is he, is he coming back again, um, what's the Bible, you know, is it accurate in our lives, those type of things. And we see a, a huge difference uh, where the unaffiliated, even on the question of God, only like 5% of them believe that God is active in the world today. See, that's a big deal. So what, what this tells me is people, the the college and 18 to 29s are not leaving because of some hurt they're experiencing in the church. They're not leaving because they're burned by the church. They don't have a biblical worldview at all. They're, so it's almost like you we're saying they never were really here. Their, their bodies were here. But they didn't believe the things that we believe. So when when life came, when the rains fell and the winds blew against the house, there was nothing. And that's so theology is driving the the fall away. Is that what you're saying? What you're seeing? Well, and you have to get to a lot of surveying of teenagers to get into this in depth. But I think for those coming out of the evangelical churches, they probably knew some of these things. Uh, but they they knew that they had been taught those things, but they weren't personalized for them. They weren't real for them. And so when they got out into college years and beyond, and they were dealing with a culture that is clearly uh, not favorably disposed toward Christians. Yeah, raging against uh, you yes, daily. right. Yeah. Then uh, the easy way to go when you don't, when you're not solidly grounded is to, 
go with the flow. So can and, you give me some of those questions that there were that they're answering? What are what are some of the survey questions that you're able to look at and say, okay, the, these 18 to 29 year olds are not answering these the way we want them to. Yeah. What are some of those questions and how do they turn out? Well, first of all, kind of the, the biggest level, I mentioned it earlier, uh, comparing born again, Christians to the unaffiliated, uh, we ask, well, who is God? And there were a fair a number, question, one might say. Right, yep. if you were looking at <laughs> And we had a number of, of answers to choose from, from you know, a deistic answer that God created the world, but he's not around anymore. Uh, there is no God. Um, there are many, many gods. I'm God. And then we had the one that says God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. Amen, yeah. Amen. Click that button. And Almost 80% of born-again Christians um, under the age of 40 uh, selected that answer. What percent? Almost 80% of born-again Christians. Now, the other 20%, that, yeah, that's, that's the, worrying. That's the, hang on, that's the hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's worrying. So 20% of born-again Christians didn't say that obviously correct answer. That is correct. Okay. And uh, you— and it blows your mind, yes. I know. Yes, it does. But going back to this this question about the unaffiliated, uh, 5% of the unaffiliated selected that answer. Uh, the, the correct one? Yeah, 5% selected okay. the correct answer. And almost 40% of them uh, said they just don't know. And another 40% of them said there's no gods or there's many gods. Um. So, so that's what most of the unaffiliated. Most of the unaffiliated are saying they either those... don't know, or there's no gods, or there's many gods. Okay, and so that's that sounds to, like to, confusion in a survey, right? To me. And yeah. so to expect those people to say when they turn thirty, oh, I have a sudden revelation. <laughs> God, that's God's not who I thought he was. Yeah. He's this all. It's the all-knowing, all-powerful all one. He's the one. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, now. It can happen. That's what evangelism is all sure, about. Sure, sure. Um, but so we're that, looking at big. We're looking at big chunks of numbers, though. Yeah. Um, but another set of questions that is important to us in doing the survey, and this is for helping us look less at the unaffiliated and more at the more at the born again, is what we call a basic biblical worldview. Yeah. And so, these questions are intended to say, in a kind of well-rounded way, if you if you have a a conservative Christian answer, uh, you've at least got a good foundation. And the, for, for, the first one is the question about God that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. The second question is, the Bible is totally accurate in all of its teachings. Yes. And you would expect them to agree with that. And third one, if a person is generally good enough or does enough good things for others during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. No. And how would you expect yeah. them to answer that? It should be no. Should be yeah. no. Should no, be nothing but disagree the strongly. Yeah. And then the fourth one, when he lived on earth, Jesus Christ committed sins like other people. No. But that's yeah. growing. That view is growing right now. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about that. And uh, Yeah. Well, I can tell you from the, the survey data that it is definitely uh, growing, either from not thinking about it or from thinking too much about it. Yeah. And, of course, as you and I were talking earlier, uh, they're missing – 
how key that is to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that Jesus lived a life without sin, so that as it says in Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in in Hebrews, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we, we were, yet without sinning. Yeah. Therefore, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and find mercy to help in time of need. Yeah, that yet uh, without sin is really, really, really important. It's really important. The whole salvation falls apart if you if Jesus committed one sin, thought, or deed because he's no longer the sinless lamb of God. He can't, he can't be your sacrifice. He can't be your perfect sinless sacrifice. So that's a huge deal. Um I don't know if you've seen the the big thing right now with that is uh, there's a viral video of a guy saying that uh, Jesus was racist and he had to repent of his racism because of his uh, Jewishness and the way they looked at Samaritans and the Syrophoenician woman. And that's been the big one lately. So that doesn't surprise me one bit that that is actually now in question uh, with with a lot of hopefully not born agains, but that's what that's what we're seeing. Well, and so. If you take those four questions, which none of those, you know, the last one we talked about is the one where there's really not any any room for debate, but you can understand how people yeah. might get confused in that area. Um, if, if you don't believe the Bible is the accurate uh, teaching of the Word of God, then you have no basis for believing anything of Christianity. Right. And you guys weren't even using the gold standard words of inspiration and inerrancy, right? Exactly. You, you're just staying... General on the top, truthful and accurate. Right, right, right exactly. And we did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we look at how many born-agains under the age of 40 that bl- believe all four of those from a conservative Christian perspective, and it's 25%. Of born-agains? Of born-agains. Which that is means, what should be the most conservative group in your survey. Right. right? It should be 100%. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's not good. You know, you could you could convince yourself, well, I should include those four questions in my definition of being born again. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> definition, right? <laughs> but 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 uh, so they get to self describe themselves as born again first. Well, and- first they remember we have the two questions. The one one question you've had a uh, you made a commitment to Jesus Christ, still important in your life today. Yeah, and you know you're going to heaven when you die because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not because you're good works. Okay, so yes, yes. Get gets you labeled born again, born again right? Okay. And so well, that's it's, not self-described. I mean, so it's a little bit more than yeah, being self-described. It's more than self-described. So you would think that these next four would not be so difficult, but it turns out, and I, I think this is an important thing to understand, is that amongst all ages of Americans and people around the world, but certainly in America, uh, people can readily have worldviews that are inconsistent, yeah. that do not line line up. And that's true. That's true in the born-agains. That's true in the unaffiliated. Absolutely. People, we like to think people are consistent thinkers, but it's it's more common that we're not. Right, which is, reflects two things. One, one is many Americans don't really think about their worldview. They don't think about the combination of things they believe. Yeah, how this domino falls and might hit that domino. Right. People aren't thinking about that. They don't think about that. And then then the other thing is that a lot of people just don't care. Uh, I I like this because this this feels good over here. I like this other thing over here. It's not really consistent, but that's okay because what's true for me is true for me, and what's what's true for you is true for you. So So those four questions basically make up a snapshot of a biblical worldview. And you said that 
What percentage of them are uh, of born again Christians believe a biblical world under the age of 40, 25 percent under the age of 40, 25 percent. Now, if you're 40 to 55, you're going to feel much better because it's almost 35 percent. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I mean, that's still not good. No, no, it is not good at all. So, you know, no, we're not hitting that out of the park as as a, as a Christian church. We're not hitting it out of the park on our theology. And so let me say that. If we're saying the techniques that we're using in the last decade, we've we've caught on, we're making a difference, things are turning around. In 2010, it was over 45% of 18 to 40-year-olds born-agains had a biblical worldview. Okay. And that's dropped from that to 25% okay. over the last decade. So we've that is a huge yeah, drop. We've gone down. And which is there's some there's a study there because I would say the methods used in the last 10 years have changed more dramatically than maybe the 50, the 50 years before that. I mean we we're living in this past decade was the era of a lot of changes, a lot of different perspectives, different methods trying different things. It kind of didn't work. I mean, whatever. I'm sure there's pockets of things that work. You know, you can say this didn't, this didn't. But overall, uh, things are not getting better. Oh, overall, they're not. And I would put a lot of it on the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is the the majority thinking in America, in the media, in the chat rooms were in the classroom has pegged out so far from a Christian worldview that you have to intentionally swim upstream mm-hmm. uh, and choose to say, I don't buy that stuff. Countercultural, some might say. Yes, that, countercultural. That, man, it's, I mean, it's uh, like there's two sides of this and we're, Losing on both. So basically, number one, the the one side of it is church church itself is producing weak Christians that don't know their own theology. And then the other side is that um, we are taking our weak selves and immersing ourselves in the worldly culture that's much more effective and designed to hurt us. So it, we're we're not separating ourselves and we're weak at the same time. So that's a recipe for disaster. Right. And and it falls upon those in leadership positions in the church to lead the charge, to set the example, to address the issues, to communicate in a way that can be understood uh, because the culture is not going to do it for you. Yeah. Well, they're uh, winning, and, and I think they feel it. That they're winning. Yeah, in the in the 50s when I was born, people growing up in a, in small town America, they just assume, hey, my kids are going to come out. They're going to be Christians. They're going to go to the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church. They're going to be upstanding citizens, and that's going to be a key part of it. And uh, in America today, they're thinking, man, I sure hope my kid doesn't become one of those weird Christians because they're kind of way out there in left field, and mm-hmm. that's not going to help their career in any way. Yeah, how things have changed, man. I so 
we got some work to do, church. You hear that? We can't keep sending our kids off to slaughter and uh, expecting to do the same things over and over again. And that we're not just going to keep contributing to this number happening. So um, these, hopefully this can really inform uh, a a re-emphasis on youth, college, young adult, young singles uh, ministry, because we've got to plug the hole in the dam right now. we got to stop the, the bleeding. But uh, also, man, we gotta we got to beef our kids up. They don't – we can't send them out not knowing anything. I always – when I, when I talked to our youth group a few months ago, the example I gave them was that uh, there's a guy named Bubba waiting out in the parking lot uh, for you with a crowbar in his hand, and he's gonna, he wants to beat your kneecaps, and he wants to, uh, he wants to beat you an inch of your life. And uh, so knowing this information, what are you going to do? You know, so it's kind of like that. We, that's my metaphor for life and college and things that are coming. We know it's coming. You, know, you don't have a 15-year-old and think, ah, you know, the who knows what's going to happen? Like we know they're going to go get their faith tested. Most adults are still going to send their kids off to public schools. Most adults are still going to send their kids off to public colleges. Uh, and they're not going to monitor or challenge them on their media intake and consumption. Um, they're going to have friends that are largely worldly friends. And so basically we know Bubba is standing there with his crowbar in his hand. And we're just like sending our little Susie and our little Billy off there, uh, empty handed to try to take on 500 pound, you know, monster Bubba that wants to hurt you. So something's got to change. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and, uh, and expecting the results to, to change because they're not going to. A key, a key, key part of this is that the young people need to be able to look at the older adults and see that their Christian faith really has made a difference in their lives, the way they perceive things, the way they react to things, and the way they live their lives. Uh, and because there's going to be 10 times more people who are who are saying, that's not the case to be successful. You, that's not what you want to do. And so it is really incumbent upon those who are are older to live our lives and communicate and be involved in the lives of the younger adults. Speaking of young, do you have any? I don't. I I didn't see where the youngest age bracket of this survey went because I'm seeing a lot of people right now starting to talk about Gen Z. That's sort of the buzz term. I didn't know if you guys had looked at anything sort of below age 22. That uh, that sort of because I know I'm a uh, yeah. millennial and I kind of know where where my people are and it's not very good. We're kind of the bad examples of life, but I've, I'm starting to hear things like. But Gen Z is a little bit more spiritually open and conservative, and any anything you can uh, the, tell us on that? Yeah, I mean, we have not taken any any surveys of, of Gen Z yet. Uh, I, I have seen some data uh, from the Barna Group and uh, some others on Gen Z because Gen Z is you know creeping up to twenty two, and you know they're so they're breaking into the adult yeah range, and there might be some little rays of hope, but I would say general, uh, the data I've seen shows that Gen Z's have been more taken in by the culture, which is not surprising. Yeah. Um, there would have to be some massive shift. And, and also when you, when you're doing that, the, you see a fairly significant shift, uh, and we see this in Christian Smith surveys where he surveyed the exact same group of people when they were, uh, 
13 to 18, and, and then eight years later, when they were 21 to 29, he, he did it three times during that period, the exact same group of people. And when they're still teenagers, still in the household, then they're more – many of them who later say, well, no, I don't believe it all. I, when they were teenagers, they uh, were still conforming to – the parental they influence parent. and, and yeah, they and parent what, what mom and dad and what their say. youth group, et cetera, and that type. They're type, still under so. the under the, the shelter at that point. Gotcha. Uh, well, just a quick comment on this. Given that it was twenty five percent of born again Christians, just so you understand, the number of other Protestants is like three percent, and the number of Catholics under the age of 40 who have a biblical worldview, which is, there's some reasons why this would be the case, but mm-hmm. it's less than 1%. To answer those four questions uh, biblically. Biblically. Wow. And, you know, there's, you know, the Catholics have this issue about good works and and earning right. your way into heaven. So you can, can understand a little bit of that. So break, the other but, one you said was ma- for mainline denominations? M- mainline denominations. Although this one is comparing born-again Christians to Protestants who did not answer those two questions that would be born again. Gotcha. Okay. Which is the bigger group of Protestants than the born again Protestants. Wow. Man, can I just make a plug? If you're in a mainline church, please get out. There's really no value in being in a church. And if you don't know what a mainline church is, I mean, there's a handful of denominations that are poster child for it, but the the generally more liberal thinking um, churches that... uh, probably are trending older now. I don't know. I mean, most of your mainline denominations are are middle-aged and senior adults, and they're in their, you know, really nice downtown buildings with the stained glass, and they're just trying to figure out how to to last another generation. But the theology is just pure death. I mean, there's nothing, they don't believe anything. So it makes sense to me that sort of those mainline denominations might might have 1% of, of a biblical worldview. Yeah, just a, as a quick note on that, the, uh, the, the other, other Protestants over this time, time period, um, from 1988 to 2018, they dropped from 26% of the population to 13% of the population. Uh, so that's a big drop. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of slowed down now because you're getting getting to a pretty low number. Uh, During that same period, uh, the born-again Protestants dropped from uh, about 26% to 21%. Still a drop, uh, but not not half. Well, we should have the the born-again Protestants, we should have the children. I mean, we should be the ones having the children that are refreshing ourselves every few years. Whereas I would think the main lines mostly are older folks and their, their season is past. They're just waiting for sweet death to take them. And that's me yeah, saying that, yeah. that, that I think. And you have some evangelicals take the, the attitude. Well, since we're kind of staying fairly constant, not dropping off too much, that's a victory. Um, I think if we ask the first century uh, Christians, if it was a victory that they had, uh, 3,000 Christians in Jerusalem and that uh, 20 years later they had uh, 2,800 Christians, that, that was a victory, I, I don't think they would have thought it was a victory. Right. And that's as they're working against a system where the Jews are against them, the Romans are against them, and they're absolutely the minority. 
we're basically running on the fumes of being the majority. We're not anymore, I don't think, but no. but we're we're running off the fumes of it and uh, somehow still losing ground over and over and over again. Every time a new survey comes out, it's kind of like your insurance rates. You know, you never actually see the uh, the rate go in your favor. You know, you only pay more. It's, but with surveys and stuff, it always seems like every year we lose a little bit of ground. Is there anything saying that the church? Because I've seen certain survey data before that have said something like, "Yeah, the the evangelical church is getting smaller, but." We're, I guess you could say, uh, pruning ourselves of people that really didn't have beliefs that were cultural Christians. Is there anything about that? Well, yes. I mean, there is data on that. And the first thing about that is that where we see that primarily is in the mainline denominations. And so you have these churches that are not really teaching anything other than Jesus taught us to be good to people and we should love everybody. And you learned that in kindergarten. Uh, and so that's where you've seen this huge, huge drop. Um, and, but so you see a, a similar thing in the evangelical churches is, uh, is that those that, you know, not really interested, it's easier to fall away. Uh, and that holds some water if you're just looking at attendance. That's why we go in and we look at these issues like how many people believe that Jesus lived a sinless life on earth and that they're not going to go to heaven when they die because they're a good person. And if that's dropping amongst born-again Christians, against evangelical Christians, then that tells you it's not just a, a, a winnowing out. Yeah, that's not just uh, It's more of a hollowing out, yeah. which is... Uh, now, you look at those that have the beliefs across the board which is a really small percent of the population. And that's stayed fairly constant over the last 20 years because if you have all those beliefs, then then you're a, a strong Christian. You're, you're, you're studying the Bible on a regular basis. You're going to church. You're praying. Right. You believe that Jesus had lived a sinless life and he died for you. And um, that doesn't... That doesn't slip away really easily. Yeah, that's you know? a deeply held belief if yeah. you've got all of that. Uh, but it, do, it does show us how many people in our churches or who affiliate with our churches um, don't really have that, that deep belief. There's a whole another topic we can t- discuss another time is what about the uh, – these religious practices, you know, praying, yeah. reading the Bible, attending church, uh, giving, uh, which is um, shows us, unfortunately, a similar result as as the mm-hmm. beliefs area. Well, good. Anything else, Brother Steve, you'd want to put into this sort of big, big takeaway category? Big. Well, uh, I think one other area that's uh, that's. Um, A new thing, a thing that's uh, as our culture has changed. This is another area that's we can see clearly, and that's the idea of pluralism. Uh, you know, pluralism is when you believe there are multiple ways to get to God, to mm-hmm. get to heaven, to please God, um, and um, if you if you have a basic Christian worldview, then you understand. That pluralism is the antithesis of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by me. How many people? No one comes right. to the Father except by me. Acts four twelve. Uh, there's no no other name under heaven given among men by much uh, by which you must, we be, must saved. be saved. That's right. That's right. And uh, so you would you would think that Christians would be strong believers in that, and not only that, it's the motivation for evangelism. Sure. If you believe there are other ways, then there's no need to evangelize. Now, we'd pull all of our missionaries off the field if we thought that they, they'd be okay believing their own stuff. And so we ask in this latest survey, we ask people this question. We said, Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus all taught valid ways to God. Wow. Do you agree or disagree? That's a carefully worded question. That's a good question. All taught valid ways to God. Okay. So there are well, first of all that means there are multiple ways right to God. Yeah, you would you would if you would answer yes to that, you would have to think that their version of God was correct. You'd have to think Muhammad's God was correct and Buddha's version of God and all those things. What's funny is Buddha didn't even believe in God, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, or all those versions of God were were correct in some mushed-up, right. amalgamated way, right. and they all end up in the same result, which, of course, I always like to say it could be true that all religions are false, and so that all of them <laughs> lead to a false god and destruction. Right, because they all say different things. Because they all say different things. Yeah. So they can't all be correct. But we, this is the question we ask. They all taught valid ways to God. Yeah, a Christian should say no. No, right. no way. And so the number of Christians under the age of 40 who said no, no way was 35%. Ugh. Two-thirds. That's nauseatingly bad. It is. Ugh. And but forty to fifty five was much better. Only sixty uh, percent of them said there that was true. That so, your, so your middle agers, your middle aged Christians, are still terrible. That's still not that good. No, that's terrible. Yeah, I, that's less than half. Okay, that are that are not pluralistic, um, and so that is a real um, telling. Uh, statistic, and I, I think one of the th one of the drivers on that, particularly when it's asked that way, is uh, when I was uh, a youngster a few years ago, living in uh, a small, small town in a New small Mexico. Handful of years ago, yes, yeah, small handful of years ago. Uh, you know, we had a couple of Jewish families in our community. Uh, any other religion besides Christianity and Judaism? Now we had Catholics and Protestants and what whatnot, but uh, you know we didn't know any of them. Mm -hmm. Now my kids grew up in a suburb, a big suburb, uh, lots of people from all over the world, and they had lots of people in their classes that were uh, Hindu, uh, Buddhist, Muslim, Shintoism, um, you know, and so I think that's one of the things that pushes. People who, as we already have seen, don't have a biblical worldview to accept this pluralistic view is that it says, well, if I don't have this pluralistic worldview, then then I, I'm supposed to do something about it. Right. I'm supposed to confront them. I'm supposed it's to share something. I'm supposed Wait, to these tell people them are going the to hell? Are you serious? These people? I know these people. They can't go to hell. These people? I love these people. 
Yeah. It's hard to say that. Right. And it is. And it is. Um, but it's, it's like choosing to believe a lie in order to prevent yourself from trying to uh, do something that would make a difference in their life, which is yeah. r- really sad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's but throws, understandable. That throws everything off if you if you believe that there's multiple equal valid ways to to God. So. Right. It, it kind of takes evangelism out of evangelism out of evangel uh, yeah out of those who are evangel evangelical. There, I yeah. got it now. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. I'd like to take that same question and ask it to our to our youth in, in college in our in our mm-hmm. own church and see what people would say. I would hope that we'd be better than what forty. Thirty-five percent. Yeah. I hope we could be thirty-five percent. Yeah, and I think I think we we would. But I mean, we sing songs. Think about this: if you're at a church, you're singing songs like "In Christ Alone." I mean, that's that's a pretty standard song or, or cornerstone. You know, "Christ Alone," cornerstone. I mean, you say these, we sing these words over and over again, and then the survey comes, and it's like, but is Christ really uh, the only way? And like, I don't know. It, it's just it's so weird to think as a pastor that you spend so much time training and training and training and you're singing songs as a worship leader and we're memorizing theology and we're it's like we're catechizing ourselves saying it over and over again and then when rubber meets road you hear you hear these huge numbers it's almost disheartening to yeah, well, to yeah. you yeah now to take it a little bit further and, and understanding how postmodernism affects all of this we also ask the same group of people this question I believe that the only way to a true relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Somewhat similar and, to the last question, yeah, if you think about it. Yeah. And 60% of them agreed that I, I've born-again Christians, agreed that I believe the only way to a true relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. But that would put 30% of them in direct conf- in conflict. That's exactly right. 30, 30% of them have said two things that cannot both be true. <laughs> right. They are antithetical. An, yeah, they're against each other. Yeah, so you have you're saying I believe Jesus is the only way, but you're also saying that uh Muhammad, Muhammad and, Buddha, and Buddha are valid. They they taught valid ways yeah. to God. Uh, Jesus is the only way to a true relationship with God. Muhammad and Buddha taught valid ways to God. Those cannot both be true and yet you have uh one third of uh born again Christians who apparently yeah, you're back don't to your, check their worldview to see if it's Right, you're back to the, your, the comment on being consistent in your thinking and how a lot of people just aren't. Yeah. So we need a course in uh, logic and rhetoric now to be able to think clearly. <laughs> right. And, and I think in this particular area, this is an area where uh, pastors need to specifically state, we need to share Christ with our Muslim friends, our Buddhist friends, our Hindu friends, uh, they need the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And if so, if he came to the, if, if you came to the Father through him, he's not a liar. Mm-hmm. He wasn't lying when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, and so rather than just pretend like it's not an issue, we should step up, man up, as they say, mm-hmm. and say, yeah, this is an issue, and I have a relationship with this person. God, what do you want me to do? Yeah. 
I think that's so true. If you and if your church isn't, if you're listening and your church isn't big on missions, I think even international missions specifically, you're teaching your kids something in that. You're teaching your people something. If you don't talk about international missions, unreached people groups, there's a there's a implicit statement in that in that silence that there's no urgency to reach these unreached people because you know they're okay. They they they'll be fine. Their ways are valid. If you don't make a big deal about we have to go get them. We have to go to India and go to the Hindu. We have to go to the Middle East and reach the Muslim. If you don't they they won't be with Christ. That they're not okay. They're not going to make it. So if you don't if you don't say that kind of stuff in your church, you, you you may think, well, we just don't talk about it. No, you're talking about it. You're 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 keeping it from being said clearly. Therefore, it's being said that people are okay without Christ, which is a big deal. Yeah. Well, good. Anything else, Brother Steve, from this survey results? I think there's another. Uh, I think we have another podcast in in order here to deal with uh, a lot of the rest of the info. There's a big one that I want to talk about uh, in, in our next podcast, and if you'll come back and we'll do this another time, is uh, discussions on the uh, 18 to 29 age brackets belief in sexual practices. And there's a, a lot of, as you might imagine, uh, there's a lot of seismic changes that are occurring in, in beliefs on this right now. Parents listening, your kids probably don't believe what you think they believe about this stuff unless you've had very clear discussions with them. So I want to dedicate uh, the next podcast to dealing with some of that stuff, and I'm sure we can get you back to do that. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I look good. forward to it. No, well, guys, I, 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 hate, I actually hate to do it. but I know. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. We'll make you climb the stairs one more time. But uh, we'll, we'll close with that. I want to thank all the listeners today uh, for listening to Off Script with Pastor Jared. With a special guest, Steve Cable, again, check out probe.org, P-R-O-B-E.org, to see lots of articles uh, from Probe Ministries and Apologetics. Any, any closing I'm, thoughts from I, you, Rose yeah, Steve? Yeah, I'll mention, too, that when you go to the Probe website, you'll see a big banner across the top about our 2020 survey. Click on that banner. It will take you to the articles that are coming out. They'll, they'll be coming out for the next six months. We have so much data to analyze. Uh, and if you want to know... What's going on in America today? I highly recommend it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening today. God bless. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Off Script.